To know who you are is the greatest power of all. That quote comes from Blood Trinity, a book by Sherilyn Kenyon and Diana Love. You can interpret it in one of two ways. As a promise that if you're self-aware and you tap into your inherent strengths and truest desires, you'll be able to achieve your goals. Or as a warning that if you don't know who you are, you'll be at a disadvantage, susceptible to outside influences. Your life will be able to be shaped by others, which can be dangerous, especially when you don't know what their goals are. But we can help you with that. For nearly four years on Unexplained Mysteries, we've explored the biggest mysteries of history and life on Earth. But some enigmas are too big to solve in just two episodes. So this year, we're trying something new. We'll still bring you one- and two-parter episodes on historic mysteries, but we'll also be taking periodic deep dives into the biggest questions that humans grapple with every day. Like, how do we share information? And who controls it? What secrets are hidden deep within the Earth? Are we alone in the universe? For the next five episodes, we'll ask, is there anyone out there actually trying to implement a new world order? And if so, have they succeeded? We'll examine some of the most powerful people in the world, politicians, CEOs, and members of elite secret societies. We'll discuss whether you can really believe what you see in the news, and we'll explore the ways corporations and government entities can upend your life. How much control do you really have over your career, your finances, your daily routine, yourself? The answers may surprise you. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In this five-part series, we'll be exploring questions related to the New World Order. You know, that mysterious organization that occasionally pops up in the news? Secret societies are always inimical to free societies, and it's impossible to judge whether elected officials are acting as public servants or have hidden agendas. For the first time in American history, the federal government is saying, we are going to have a part of the government that is outside of democratic observation. We are going to have a part of the government that will do secret things that we won't tell you about, that will spend money that we will not reveal. And that's why I wanted to speak to you today about the new world taking shape around us, about the prospects for a new world order now within our reach. What do you think a new world order is? Well, basically it's one government that controls the entire world. Today, we're asking, are the Illuminati trying to implement a new world order? We'll discuss why this notorious secret society was originally founded, how they were allegedly shut down, and why many people believe they still operate from the shadows today. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. In the fall of 2016, New York Magazine reporter Ben Wallace interviewed a new potential source, a woman who chose to go by the pseudonym Anna. She claimed to have explosive information on a famous and powerful executive. The tip seemed promising, but each time Wallace met with Anna, something about their conversation seemed off. As she discussed her allegations, her emotions appeared to be almost performative. And every so often, she'd stop to ask Wallace what he knew about the executive, any allegations others might have made, who else he'd spoken to, what he'd confirmed. At a certain point, it felt like she was interviewing him. During one meeting, Anna beckoned for Wallace to sit unusually close to her. Though he didn't have evidence to prove it, he suspected Anna was recording their meeting, hiding a wire somewhere or taping his comments on her phone. Wallace later learned he was right to be wary. Anna's real name was Stella Pachanik. She wasn't a former employee interested in whistleblowing. She was hired by the man Wallace was investigating, a Hollywood mogul named Harvey Weinstein. In an earlier life, Pachanik worked as an agent for the Israeli Defense Forces, but she was now undercover for a private intelligence contractor named Black Cube. Her mission? Smear reporters, intimidate witnesses, and gather intel that could exonerate Weinstein of dozens of rape allegations. Pachanik later claimed she accepted the job because she believed Weinstein could be innocent. Now, whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. The implications remain the same. Weinstein's wealth and influence meant he could hire someone as skilled as Pachanik to help him escape justice, even though the job meant intimidating his enemies, harassing victims, and lying to the press. It's an example of a reality that many of us have come to accept, that the rich and powerful can buy privileges we can't even imagine. But what would happen if people like Harvey Weinstein pooled their resources? How much could they change the course of global history? To some extent, we can see the strings they might be able to pull. Your bank or credit card company decides if you have enough money to make purchases. Your local government can impose curfews. Your credit score dictates whether or not you can buy a new car, 
rent an apartment, even if you're qualified for certain jobs. But what about strings we can't see? Imagine a group that can tell you what to do, where to work, how to live, who you're allowed to be, all without you even knowing. Maybe they already exist. You're likely familiar with the conspiracy theory called the New World Order, or NWO. The basic idea is that for about 250 years, maybe longer, a secret group of elites has reshaped laws and manipulated the public to serve their own agenda. And their ultimate goal is to create a global totalitarian state. Many have suggested that one secret society known as the Illuminati is behind the New World Order. And as an organization, the Illuminati is real. They were founded on May 1, 1776, by a rebellious law professor named Adam Weishaupt. Weishaupt lived in Bavaria, a country that no longer exists but would be located in modern-day Germany. At the time, Bavaria was predominantly Catholic, and the church and the monarchy ruled with iron fists. People were discouraged from promoting ideas that threatened religious and political norms. Conversations about secular philosophy, the merits of democracy, and women's education were off-limits. The punishment for discussing them could be imprisonment, torture, or execution. Frustrated by Bavaria's censorship and power structures, Weishaupt saw the Illuminati as an opportunity, a secret club where the educated could gather and talk about concepts that the church deemed dangerous a place where members could criticize the nobility and discuss the importance of humanist reason. He believed that the free and open spread of knowledge would make men more, well, free, and in turn more moral. And he did mean men. At the time, women weren't allowed to join. So clearly, the original members, who were then dubbed perfectibilists, were not as enlightened as they liked to believe. But in the beginning, they were only five, and they gathered deep in a forest, far from the prying eyes of the city. They expanded from there, but were selective about who they invited to join. Standing members needed to approve all new inductees, and they targeted men with wealth and connections. One of their earliest recruits was a man named Baron Adolf von Kaniga. Before he joined, he was a Freemason, and he introduced several Masonic practices to the Illuminati after being inducted, including the use of code names. In time, he encouraged Illuminis to infiltrate the Masons, recruit their members, and spread their philosophy in Masonic lodges. In fact, under Kaniga's guidance, some people, like journalist Jim Mars, believe the Illuminati effectively took over Freemasonry. Even if that's an exaggeration, their recruitment efforts were successful. Within a few years, the Illuminati ranks grew into the thousands. But their success was short-lived. According to National Geographic, a bitter ex-Illumini named Josef Uchschneider betrayed the group. In a letter to the Grand Duchess of Bavaria, he claimed the Illuminati were working to undermine Christianity. He accused them of promoting murder and suicide, which, as you can imagine, didn't go over well with the Catholic Church. The Grand Duchess acted. 
In June 1784, her husband, the Duke Elector of Bavaria, passed a ban on any new clubs that weren't approved by the crown. This caused some confusion, though. Since the Illuminati technically predated the edict, they marched forward as if the law didn't apply to them. But nine months later, in March 1785, the Duke Elector closed the loophole. He passed a new ban that specifically outlawed the group. Soon, the Bavarian police arrested and seized the possessions of every Illumini they could identify. Certain documents seemed to corroborate Utschneider's allegations, like one bit of writing that did, in fact, defend suicide and promote atheism. This, in turn, inspired an even harsher crackdown. By August 1787, recruitment into the order was punishable by death. In the midst of this suppression, the Illuminati founder, Adam Weishaupt, fled Bavaria. He lived the rest of his life in exile in Gotha. His dream was over. The Illuminati were finished. The old world order, the nobility and the church, had vanquished the new world order, at least officially. Twelve years after the Illuminati were outlawed, a multi-volume book by a priest named Augustin Baruel circulated in France. In it, Baruel claimed the Illuminati survived the Bavarian ban. According to him, in the decades since, membership expanded to include operatives all over Europe. And they were powerful. Powerful enough to incite a rebellion. Coming up, the Illuminati's alleged role in the French Revolution. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility, and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I use social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, back to the story. In 1789, four years after the Duke Elector of Bavaria banned membership in the Illuminati Secret Society, the citizens of France embraced freedom of religion, self-determination, and democracy, principles similar to the ones the Illuminati once promoted. Spurred to rebellion, the French violently overthrew the government and beheaded King Louis XVI and Queen Marie Antoinette. Maybe this was all a coincidence. The French revolutionaries likely had access to the same writing and ideas that inspired Adam Weishaupt to found the Illuminati. But a few years later, in 1797, a Catholic priest named Augustin Baruel alleged that the Illuminati had caused the French Revolution. He laid out his argument in a book titled Memoirs Illustrating the History of Jacobism. Baruel claimed the Illuminati had survived by going underground. They'd secretly expanded their networks and influenced political thought, eventually orchestrating the French Rebellion. But a revolution was just step one. Baruel said the organization was distributing secular propaganda to undermine the church. Using the language of freedom and self-determination, they intended to stir unrest. All of this to advance a threefold agenda. Destroy religion, the monarchy, and ultimately, society itself. Again, this is all according to Baruel. But nine years later, a man named Jean-Baptiste Simonini wrote a letter to Baruel about how his allegations were true. Simonini even added that a group of power brokers were currently directing the Illuminati and the Freemasons to advance an even more secret agenda. Skeptical of Simonini's claims, Baruel passed the correspondence along to some friends to get a second opinion. Those friends then shared it with their friends, until eventually... Simonini's note and Bauerwell's memoirs circulated much of the Western world. Before long, many readers were convinced that the Illuminati was everywhere, hell-bent on toppling nations to achieve a new world order. More authors added to the discourse. They wrote treatises about the apparent dangers of the Illuminati, in 1798, Scottish philosopher John Robison published one under the lengthy title Proofs of a Conspiracy Against All the Religions and Governments of Europe Carried on in the Secret Meetings of Freemasons, Illuminati, and Reading Societies. His ideas will sound familiar. According to Robison, after the Illuminati were outlawed, they secretly infiltrated Masonic lodges where they advanced their agenda. He added that the Illuminati were still active in working against European governments and the Church. They made poisons, performed abortions, and secretly read officials' mail to learn state secrets. Like Bauruel, Robison believed the Illuminati intended to overthrow the old world order and implement their own. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, an American theologian named Timothy Dwight issued his own warning. If the United States didn't stop the Illuminati, religion would be eradicated from the nation within a hundred years. 
It was no small threat, but many Americans were skeptical of Robison's writing. The news media at the time had a reputation for being heavily biased. Conservative and liberal outlets both pushed content that served their own unique agendas. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Most Americans were reluctant to accept anything at face value. And yet, despite reading Barwell, Robison, and Dwight's works with a critical eye, nobody could debunk their publications. But maybe not for the reasons you might think. Barwell may have claimed to have evidence to back up his allegations, but he never presented any of it. And nobody ever really asked for it or followed up. As a result, his ideas continued to spread unchecked. Think of all the times you've seen a headline or a social media post that includes the words studies say or experts claim. How many times have you actually checked the studies or the experts' statements for yourself? Or worse, shared an article without reading its contents based on the headline alone? American colonists weren't much better at verifying evidence. It probably didn't help that other authors continued to write pamphlets, sermons, books, and newspaper articles about the dangers of the Illuminati, ultimately creating an echo effect. In time, politicians, philosophers, and spiritual leaders all got on board with the idea that the Illuminati posed a genuine threat. Of course, today we know the religions of the world didn't crumble after a hundred years. Bauruel, Robison, and Dwight's wild claims didn't check out. History proved them wrong. So, by the early 20th century, conspiracy theories about secret societies and the NWO left the mainstream. People assumed the New World Order and a modern-day Illuminati didn't exist. That is, until 1970, when a right-wing activist named Robert Welch received a letter. Welch was the president of an anti-communist group called the John Birch Society. And the letter, which was signed Ho Chi Zen and printed on Illuminati stationery, verified some of Welch's deepest fears. It claimed the Illuminati were about to complete their plan for global domination. They already controlled 96.5% of the world, and now they were prepared to publicly reveal themselves. Welch wasn't the only person who received an apparent note from the Illuminati. Others did as well. Soon, magazines like Playboy printed readers' wild accusations against the clandestine organization. Even teen magazines ran stories about the New World Order. It was hard to tell which claims, if any, were true. This was partly because the letters directly contradicted each other. For example... Some said that an anarchist group called the Discordian Society was an enemy of the Illuminati, while others insisted it was an Illuminati front. Arguably, the two most popular allegations were that the Illuminati helped put Hitler in power and that they were also behind JFK's assassination. In the midst of all this discourse, one recurring theme emerged. The Illuminati would do anything to implement the New World Order. Lie, kill, upend governments, nothing was off-limits. But one particularly effective tool they apparently used was a philosophical principle known as Hegelian dialectics. 
While philosopher G.W.F. Hegel didn't write about global domination, several people have found similarities between his writings and a pattern of real-world power grabs. And this pattern has repeated itself throughout history. So, going forward, when we discuss Hegelian dialectics, we're referring to a cycle of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Or in other words, problem, response, solution. More often than not, we think of problems as unintended consequences, the result of external forces outside of our control. But that's not always the case. Sometimes governments, corporations, and powerful groups intentionally create problems or lie to make a situation look worse than it is. They do this because they want to respond to the problem by suggesting an expansion of their own powers. Then, once it's approved and they do solve the problem, they've justified their new authority. This may sound like a conspiracy theory, but there are several real-world examples of Hegelian dialectics in action. And the rich and the powerful always come out on top. Late on the night of August 4, 1964, American Navy ships, the USS Maddox and the USS Turner Joy, patrolled the Gulf of Tonkin near the North Vietnamese coastline. Radar technicians on the Maddox detected a large fleet of enemy vessels closing in, fast. To defend themselves, both destroyers wildly fired into the air. When the dust settled, it appeared their strategy worked. Both ships survived and the enemy fleet was gone. They had defended the country from a foreign invasion. Three days later, Congress approved the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, authorizing the U.S. government to take, quote, all necessary measures to repel any armed attack and to prevent further aggression. The following spring, this resolution served as the legal justification for the United States to enter the Vietnam War. But there was a flaw in this logic. The North Vietnamese hadn't attacked the Maddox or the Turner Joy. The fleet of ships that appeared on their radar screens was nothing more than a glitch. And within hours of the incident, several military officials knew as much. But when they notified their superiors back in the States, the military brass chose to ignore the information. They wanted the attack to be real because it was the perfect justification for war without the United States looking like the aggressor. Certain American politicians felt the ends justified the means. They feared that if they didn't lend their support to the capitalist South Vietnamese, communism would spread through Asia and then the world. So they covered up the truth to advance their goals. And when the Vietnam War began, it became clear that the entire conflict was actually a proxy war against the Soviet Union, which was what many U.S. politicians wanted all along. In Hegelian terms, the Gulf of Tonkin incident began with a thesis or a problem, an alleged North Vietnamese attack against American ships. Next came the antithesis, or the response, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which formally authorized military intervention in Vietnam. And finally, the synthesis or the solution, the Vietnam War. Another famous example played out 38 years later. 
The thesis came in October 2002, when President George W. Bush said that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, when they didn't. The antithesis, on March 19, 2003, U.S. troops invaded Iraq. And then the synthesis, the U.S. deposing Saddam Hussein and seizing control of the country's oil production industry. Or here's a more recent example from 2021. The thesis, following nationwide protests and calls to defund the police, the FBI released data showing a 30% spike in murders in 2020. The antithesis, officials demanded an increased police presence. As for their intended synthesis, it's too early to say, but we can speculate. Maybe it's an effort to delegitimize groups like Black Lives Matter, or maybe the goal is to have a better funded or more militarized police presence. Only time will tell. We should note that while murder rates are up, many other kinds of crime are not. And the FBI's publication only used voluntarily reported data. So there's no way for us to know if the communities that didn't report any data experienced higher or lower murder rates than average. In other words, the FBI may be cherry-picking numbers to fit their Hegelian dialectic needs. And media coverage often ignores the flaws in their data. With these modern examples in mind, let's examine if an Illuminati-backed New World Order still exists today, and if they already are ruling the world. Coming up, the truth about the modern Illuminati. Now, back to the story. In the late 1960s, Robert Anton Wilson was an associate editor at Playboy. He helped the magazine publish content that reflected the countercultural attitudes that were in vogue at the time. During his tenure, he wrote about sex, drugs, and magic. These were more than passing interests for Wilson. He was passionate about anti-authoritarianism. And when he was off the clock, Wilson was a major player in a movement called Discordianism. The Discordians were like the internet trolls of the hippie era. They executed elaborate pranks that were designed to mock and undermine mainstream values. For example, in 1969, they published a fake religious text called Principia Discordia. It educated readers on the worship of Eris, the goddess of chaos. These hoaxes weren't all fun and games. Wilson and his colleagues feared that the general public trusted the newspapers and the government too much. The Discordians hoped that their demonstrations would encourage people to open their eyes and think more critically. In their minds, the best way to do this was with a demonstration, in which they'd prove that the mainstream media wasn't always trustworthy. Wilson's job with Playboy made this easy. All he had to do was write a few letters posing as a whistleblower within the Illuminati. He penned several notes using multiple aliases and made wild claims about the secret society and the New World Order. These included two big accusations, that the Illuminati backed Hitler in Germany and that they orchestrated Kennedy's assassination and some intentionally bizarre ones, like suggesting Illuminis didn't have left nipples. 
The mix of potentially credible theories with seemingly obvious fabrications was intended to be a wink and a nudge, an indication of the truth, that the letters were a prank, part of a carefully crafted Discordian hoax. Wilson and his colleagues assumed that surely subscribers would read the articles and laugh. But it didn't work out that way. Many fully believed the lies about the Illuminati. Even after the Discordians adapted their bizarre conspiracy theories into a sci-fi trilogy called Illuminatus, which they marketed as fiction, conspiracy theorists still treated the claims as real. The Discordians inadvertently proved their hypothesis that the American public was too gullible. Unfortunately, they couldn't take back the rumors, and the repercussions of their actions are still being felt today. Despite being thoroughly debunked, the fabricated Illuminati conspiracies are still widely believed, and evidence suggests that disinformation is more readily accepted now than ever before. But there's a darker lining to belief in an Illuminati New World Order. See, many of the allegations against the group have deep roots in anti-Semitism. Earlier, we discussed Jean-Baptiste Simonini, the former Illumini who corroborated Augustin Barouel's claims about a plot to destroy Christianity. But Simonini didn't just agree with Barouel's allegations. He made some of his own. Specifically, he falsely claimed that the Illuminati and the Freemasons were both fronts for an even bigger, more sinister conspiracy, one run entirely by Jewish people. To be abundantly clear, Simonini didn't have any proof to back up these claims. He seemed to be motivated solely by anti-Semitic prejudice. Even Bauerel recognized that the claims weren't credible. He wrote a letter expressing his fears that Simonini's lies might trigger hate crimes against Jewish people. Unfortunately, his warnings weren't enough. The false rumors spread throughout Europe and then the world. Two centuries later, conspiracy theorists have gone even further in trying to conflate the Illuminati with some kind of fictional Jewish plot. As journalist Joel Levy explained, quote, the Illuminati have become a shorthand for a variety of anti-Semite, racist, homophobic, and otherwise distasteful bigotry. Today, most credible historians agree that the Illuminati lost all their power when they were outlawed in the late 1780s. There's no reason to believe that the leaders continued their work in secret. In fact, the founder, Adam Weishaupt, denounced the Illuminati and all secret societies before his death. He spent his final years cooperating with Catholic authorities and helped build a church in his new home of Gotha. Hardly what you'd expect from someone conspiring against organized religion. So where does that leave us? More likely than not, the Illuminati aren't poised to take over the world. Your favorite pop star is not a member. They don't exist anymore. And they probably haven't since around 1785 or so. But someone lied about the Gulf of Tonkin incident to justify the Vietnam War. American authorities falsely claimed that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. The FBI promoted a misleading narrative about a 2020 spike in murder rates. That's all true. 
And so was the Harvey Weinstein story we started with. Let's revisit that for a second. We left out a couple of details. Black Cube agents weren't the only ones willing to help Weinstein get away with his crimes. He also worked with lawyer Lisa Bloom, who'd previously had a stellar reputation as an advocate for sexual abuse survivors, and attorney David Boies, who'd turned against his firm's own client, The New York Times, to protect Weinstein. We can't even begin to guess how many police officers, detectives, and prosecutors chose to ignore the allegations against Weinstein over the years he worked in Hollywood. At best, the Weinstein case highlights the flaws in our legal system. At worst, it suggests that there's a darker option on the table. The wealthy and powerful have the ability to close ranks to protect their own interests. Maybe they share a bond that goes deeper than class. Maybe they share a mission. The Illuminati isn't behind the New World Order. But... There are plenty of other suspects. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with a look at how American politics may have been influenced by groups operating in the shadows. And we'll explore whether our modern institutions are under their control as well. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Angela Jorgensen, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Connor Sampson, fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from ParCast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear. Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.